You're listening to the Birth Matters Podcast, episode 92. This might be helpful to anyone who wants to stay active in pregnancy and who was active before, and you're dealing with just a lot of the changes. To focus on not comparing yourself to other people around you in the room, but also not to compare yourself to your pre-pregnancy self. So I think it helps me to just focus on exploring. This is a new body that I've never had before that is also growing another human being, which is amazing. But will mean that you're going to need to explore your different capabilities, that they won't be the same they were yesterday or two months ago, but to just try to have some excitement about that adventure instead of sadness about what isn't true right now for you. That made me have a lot more freedom and joy in exploring and processing my pregnancy through dance. It's something I kind of started even from the day that I found out I was pregnant, just kind of improvising and journaling, doing a mix of those things to think through what was this experience like and how is it hard and how has it been great and what do I hope for my baby in the future and all of these different things. Hey there and welcome to the Birth Matters Show. I'm your host, Lisa Graves-Taylor, founder of Birth Matters NYC Childbirth Education and Labor Support. This show is here to lessen your overwhelm on the journey into parenthood by equipping and encouraging you with current best evidence info and soulful interviews with parents and birth pros. Please keep in mind the information on this show is not intended as medical advice or to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. If you like the show, we'd be so grateful if you'd write a review wherever you're listening to this. You might just get a shout out on social media or on the podcast if you do. If you've ever taken Birth Matters class with me, I just want to be sure you know that we have a reunion coming up at long last. It's the first one since pre-COVID, and I'm really excited. So it's going to be on Saturday, October 8th at 4 p.m. from 4 to 6 p.m. in Astoria Park. And I hope to see you there. Now for a little bit on today's birth story, which is shared by Hannah and Tommy. Whenever Hannah tried to reconcile her background as a professional dancer with the idea of pregnancy and birth, it felt like the two were incompatible. Yet when she does get pregnant, she finds ways to beautifully integrate the two. While pregnant, Hannah obtains a grant to both create and perform a dance work that tells the story of her journey into parenthood and to hold dance and journaling classes to create a community of support for fellow pregnant people. Ultimately, she chooses to give birth at home, and today's birth story shares all the details of how Hannah hires a great midwife and doula birth team to support her and her husband in their Upper West Side home birth. Before we jump into today's story, I just want to mention that our fall group birth classes are filling up fast, so if you're due in the next few months, you'll want to grab your spot soon. And through October 15th, we're offering a happy fall discount on our midweek evening group class series. So if you, when you register for an evening group class series that starts anytime between October 4th and December, you can just use the promo code HAPPYFALL25 when you check out and that will give you your $25 discount. Be sure to use that to sign up before October 15th. Visit birthmattersnyc.com for group and private options, as well as my online anytime course. Now let's jump into today's story. Welcome, Hannah and Tommy. I'm so thankful you're willing to come onto the podcast today to share your birth story, your baby's birth story. Welcome. Thanks so much, Lisa. We're so excited to be here. It feels surreal after listening to your podcast, literally my whole pregnancy. Um, <laughs> I feel like I learned so much from it. So it's 
kind of crazy to be here. Oh, that means a lot to hear that you listened a bunch. And you both took my birth class back in October, and it was super early. You had your baby long after everybody else did, right? Yes, we did. Yep. So if you could just please introduce yourselves, maybe share the neighborhood you live in and how long ago you gave birth, any of those essential details. Sure. My name is Hannah. We live in Harlem and we gave birth, I guess I gave birth eight weeks ago tomorrow. Our baby Hazel Grace is eight weeks tomorrow, which is wild. My name is Tommy. I am the husband and father. I work in product management with the finance and it's been just a joy to be at home with uh, with baby and being able to support Hannah. Oh, and I guess I should say what I do. That would be helpful for later. I am a dancer and writer, basically. I dance for a company called Perry Dance Contemporary Dance Company located down by Union Square. And then I do a bunch of different writing things as a writing consultant for City Seminary of New York here in Harlem. I'm not sure I knew the writing piece of that. That's great. Yeah, a little dual career going on. That's so great. I love it. Yeah, I, I do remember that you, I believe, heard about my classes through a, a mutual friend. You're a pastor and someone, a friend of ours, we've known for probably, gosh, 20-ish years, I think. Long time through my work at Hope for New York was how I first met Scott. Mm. My husband has worked on committees with him as well since then. So mm. near and dear to my heart. And I was so grateful that you heard about the birth classes through him. Yeah, we were too. I think um, it was probably when we first told him we were pregnant. He said, oh, you should get in touch with Lisa Taylor. I know her through, I don't even remember what he said. And <laughs> just kind of casual. And then I realized Lisa's got an amazing birth class, this podcast. Also leads East River Doula Collective. Amazing connection. We're so grateful that, yeah, connected us to you. So let's get started by sharing, if you would please share anything and everything you'd like to share about how your pregnancy went, how you chose your birth setting and your care provider, your team, all of that good stuff. Sure. So we found out that we were pregnant on Father's Day 2021, which was pretty fun. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, yeah. All things considered, I think I had a really great pregnancy. And that's funny to say now looking back on the ups and downs throughout, but, you know, talking to other people also, and just the host of things that you can come up against during pregnancy. I feel really grateful now on the other side, but finding a care provider definitely was a bit of a journey for us. Started off in July at an OB practice with Mount Sinai West. And we kind of just wanted to start off somewhere because I was already pretty sure that I wanted to give birth at a birth center in the city. And that idea, I think, really came from my mom. My mom gave birth to me in a hospital setting, did not have a great experience, had an experience of, yeah, just the care that didn't feel as personal, maybe, or as much like it really listened to her wants and desires. And then she gave birth to my brother in a birth center. And so I feel like growing up hearing those two stories and her great experience in that birth made me want to go that route. And then your class and learning more just about the physiology of birth and your oxytocin and how important that is to feel really comfortable where you are. I just felt like that would be a setting that I would feel more comfortable in. But then as we were working through some insurance things, I was trying to just get care at the OB practice in the meantime. And then actually through you, through the East River Doula Collective, we got connected to our doulas team, Sarah Grace and Beth, who are amazing. And I'll definitely talk more about them later. But as we were talking with them, it kind of became apparent. They definitely could recommend hospitals, settings in the city that would be good options for an unmedicated birth, which was what I wanted. They felt like home birth, this is probably the most helpful piece of information, is actually 
really similar to a birth center in what you're actually getting. So there's nothing you could have at a birth center that you can't have at home birth, except maybe nitrous oxide. I remember they mentioned, or maybe you also mentioned that. I think both of you said it at the same time in different emails that I was having with you and with them. So I think hearing that from, I think the both of you made me realize we should at least look into home birth and definitely appealing to not have to do some sort of scary New York City commute to a different location at 5 p.m. on a Friday. But that definitely had been worrying me. So we started to look into home birth. And this is all happening around, I don't know, maybe 15 to 20 weeks pregnant. And I had heard from you and I think others that home birth practices can fill up quickly. So I'm getting a little bit worried. And anyway, all to say, we interviewed two different home birth midwifery practices and we settled on wild root midwifery with Chloe and Soraya. And it was amazing. I'll you know share more later, but just felt like the kind of care I was looking for with hour-long appointments as opposed to maybe five, 10 minutes. Someone asking you how you're doing emotionally, how you're eating, how your exercise is going, all of these different things that just felt like, yeah, pregnancy is a really holistic experience that's impacting my entire body, which I did not fully realize before getting pregnant. So to have someone really care for you, mind and body was really great. And then it was a mix for us of televisits and home visits, which is also amazing. I think they just opened an office actually. So I think they're switching over to doing some in their office and some at home. I just went to that office a few days ago, maybe I forget a week ago or so, because they're sharing an office a couple days a week with a close friend of mine who's a lactation consultant. And we had lunch and she first had me come see her new office. And it's beautiful. It's very beautifully designed. And I was very impressed with it and excited that they have this Long Island City office now. Yeah, it sounds really great. I'm excited for them. So that was kind of our journey to settling in with them. I think that was at 20 weeks. So halfway through, it felt kind of late to me. I had wanted everything figured out a little earlier. Maybe that's our personalities to want that and take birth class at 18 weeks and all these things. I wish more people would. I really do. You know, because like what you're talking about, switching care providers and switching birth settings, I think more people would have more time and, you know, less stress to to really think carefully about those choices. Because often many people feel like, oh, now it's too late. And it's not necessarily, but the option certainly would be more limited by then, by, you know, 20, 30, the 30s weeks. So I'm so glad you did that. Everybody listen to Hannah. (laughs) I am glad. I think the benefits of taking it early, we were worried that we would forget everything by the time of the birth, which I think is probably everyone's fear. Yep. And maybe this can be a time I can talk a little about your class and how helpful that was for us. Because I think as you're making all these decisions, you need that information kind of upfront. And then it's simple and easy to go back and review it later. And I think also the act of having doulas, they do a lot of that kind of review with you. I don't know if they all do, but Sarah Grace and Beth were super organized and having some, you know, pre-birth visits with us, both in person and on Zoom to go over our birth plan and what we wanted and think about coping techniques, comfort techniques in labor. And so it really did feel like they almost guided a review of the material. And I did go back and watch a few of your videos that you have access to after taking the class. I would have done more of that if our baby hadn't been born a little early, which we'll get to. But I think it was great to just kind of navigate a lot of those early pregnancy decisions. And that is the time when at least I felt probably the most stressed about not knowing anything. So I think that it really set us up for success, even Mm -hmm. as we were making that decision about home birth and thinking through if that was what we wanted. Mm -hmm. And I will say about that too, because I think probably other people have similar concerns. 
everyone thinks about safety. And I think that's, you know, when you tell people you're having a home birth, everyone's first question is, do you have a hospital plan? You know, in New York, there's a ton of hospitals. So they're, on every, like, they're on every quarter. They're on every quarter. So, you know, yeah, we do have a plan if, if it's necessary. And um, we have thought it through. But so we did look into, and our doulas helped guide that process too, of looking into safety data. And Tommy, if you wanted to talk about, you were a little worried about the cleanup. Oh, yeah. Just like, you know, this happened at home. Like, what's going to happen afterwards? And obviously now I can say it from, you know, having done it, literally don't have to worry about a thing. And that's, I mean, that's just credit also to our birth team. They were excellent in what, they, you know, what they did. And yep, they not even a thought. So, And I remember thinking that was funny that he had thought about the cleanup because I had not even once thought about that. I don't know if that's a personality thing, but <laughs> yeah, it's not nothing to be concerned about. I think you said on a podcast previously that they're like fairies kind of. You come out of your room and everything is yeah, back to yeah. normal, which is, was our experience. Pretty accurate. And it, I didn't realize how messy it can be. So it's really saying even more. Um, so I think those two concerns, we felt our fears were assuaged on those two counts and that made us feel confident moving forward. Can I just mention one thing as you were saying about your doulas refreshing you on birth education stuff? Uh, I was reminded that a couple of the doula teams about whom I have gotten the most glowing feedback, which includes your doula team. Usually, I don't know if it's a requirement, but they request that their clients please take birth class before they start having their prenatal yes. visits. And I think that is so brilliant because mm -hmm. your doula, that's just a logical sequence because your prenatal visits are never going to be as comprehensive or ha we don't have as much time as we would have in at least my childbirth series. And most childbirth series are going to be longer than your prenatals with your uh, doula. So it's nice to have that sequence. I just wanted to amplify that statement that you made. Yeah, it was great. I don't know if they require it, but I think they already knew we were signed up for your class when we were initially talking with them. I think that we hired them around 15 weeks, also pretty early. And I knew I wanted, once we decided we wanted to work with doulas, I think I wanted some help navigating the birth scene in New York City and also just felt like I heard so many friends give great feedback about having a doula for their birth. And I think I felt the um, benefit of having someone to also support Tommy in the birth that he wouldn't just be him with me, which would be great. But I didn't know probably what to do with did with uh, <laughs> beforehand. And I think, you know, it was more of Hannah talking me into the fact that we needed to do it. But now I'm on the other side, looking back, I could not be more thankful that we had to do a just, and I couldn't have imagined doing it by myself, you know, coaching Hannah through those contractions was that something that I would have been able to do. I think especially for home birth too. Because yeah, you're, yeah. you know, if you had to set up the birth pool and coach me through the contractions and make sure I was drinking water. I mean, it's actually kind of a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Not that I yep. can't do that myself, but it helped to have someone hand you the water. I'm yep. getting ahead of myself. But I think having a doula as a part of the team, I think some home birth practices maybe require that. I'm not sure. And I'm not sure about ours, but it was great. Great. Well, so was there anything else you wanted to share about pregnancy and planning for birth before you jump into your birth story? Yeah. I can share a little more about the how the trimesters kind of rolled and a little bit about dance and pregnancy, because that was a whole journey for me. <laughs> um, I think I had always wanted to have a family and have children, and I had also wanted to pursue a dance career. And so I think even since I was a kid, just seeing those two paths in my life kind of scared me that I didn't see how they could ride on the same track, really. It felt like two separate tracks. And I think leading up to thinking about trying to get pregnant, our conversations together as a couple really helped me see the path for that. And I think Tommy had almost more of a vision of how it could work than I did. And so I think 
so much of that and your ability to dance through pregnancy and beyond can depend, I think, on your mindset, on the way that you're approaching it, on your support systems. But for me, I think I had a lot of questions throughout about what was safe physically and what I could and couldn't do. And some of that was impacted by how I felt. I felt pretty sick in the first trimester from about six to 17 weeks. I thought, oh, this is supposed to just turn off at 14 weeks, 12 weeks. It doesn't always do that. <laughs> and it wasn't, you know, just a lot of loss of appetite. And it was sort of difficult. I think I lost weight and was kind of getting nervous about that. Also created an awkward, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of issues around weight and eating in the dance world, of course. And it's an awkward experience to have people think, oh, you look like you've lost weight and literally say that to you. And then you have to say, well, actually I'm pregnant. (laughs) And sort of a (laughs) swerve in the conversation people aren't expecting and not the way you want to tell them. And so some (laughs) of that was a little bit hard, but things started to look up kind of at the end of that first trimester. But in the first trimester, just had sort of two things happened that I didn't know about going into pregnancy that may be helpful for other people to know are possible. I had uh, a thyroid, I think TSH, I don't know all the medical terms, number come back different than what it should have been. And so I saw an endocrinologist throughout pregnancy about that. And I'd done a little research on my own and talked to our OB who we were still with at the time. And she had said it's so different that it's probably not pregnancy related, but it did come back to normal enough during pregnancy that I do think it was sort of the first trimester. Your body's just kind of changing so much that it did affect my thyroid hormones. And I didn't know that was possible to that degree. So that's something to think about and research if that happens to you. I think it was probably good. I saw someone throughout, but it did feel a little bit like pretty sure this is related to pregnancy, which is pretty wild that it can affect all the systems of your body like that. And the second thing that happened was that I had a subchorionic hematoma. So we were on vacation at the end of August at around 13 weeks and I started having some bleeding. And I'd had a little bit of spotting previously in the pregnancy, but it was never bright red. And so everyone tells you, if you see that, you need to go to the ER. So we went to the ER. We were in Buffalo, New York at the time. And just a really scary experience. You see that and you're immediately thinking, I'm having a miscarriage. So we were definitely really scared. But honestly, the people at that hospital we were at were amazing and really comforting through what was a really scary experience, but ended up being this subchorionic hematoma, to my knowledge, is sort of like a little pool of blood in between the chorion, which is part of the membranes around the baby and the uterine wall. And it can just stay there and you never even notice it or it can bleed out. And then you realize that it's there. And I think it's not serious unless it's very large. And mine was fairly small. I was recommended to take time off of exercise. I didn't need to be on bed rest or anything, but just took about three weeks off of exercise, which felt a little bit, yeah, just kind of scary. You don't know if it's going to clear up, is it going to cause growth issues for the baby or anything like that. But thankfully at the next ultrasound, it was gone and they didn't know that I'd had it until I told them. So that was, we're really thankful for that. And that was the first trimester, bit of a rocky ride in that way. So wasn't doing a lot of dancing. I used to run a little bit on a lot. I've never been a very consistent runner, kind of quit that. I was just feeling too crummy. But second trimester, things started looking up and was able to return to dance. Uh, Worked out with the beginning of our company season in late September. I have a really supportive director at our company, Egal Perry and my coworkers are awesome. So I was still able to be rehearsing and I did perform just one piece that was a new creation that I was cast in. It was a lot of fun and really fun to have something created on you with the knowledge that you're pregnant, but also the choreographer just treated me like another dancer and just said, if you can't do something, just let me know and we'll change it. So that was a really special experience to perform in December at 
almost 29 weeks pregnant. I think some people thought I was a little crazy, but you know, just had heard the advice. If it feels fine, if you did it pre-pregnancy, you can continue doing it. Mm-hmm. And that advice had felt a little general to me and a mm-hmm. little bit scary to be figuring out almost every day. Well, can I roll on the floor? When should I stop rolling on my stomach? When should I stop doing partnering? Should I stop doing all partnering work or could I do some of it? Just like so many questions. Yeah. So I found that to be a little stressful to navigate without a lot of guidance. There's just not a lot of pregnant dancers. I know a few and I've been so grateful for their support, but it's just not super common. I think especially almost in the contemporary field. So all that to say, it was a really special experience to perform with my baby (laughs) together. I love that. Didn't you say, is this the performance you were saying there's a recording of online that we can watch if we're interested? Or is this a different one? This is a different one. Yes. This one is not online. I guess technically there is one where I was pregnant in June, but with like four weeks pregnant. I didn't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) That is online. Oh, it's called Threshold on the company's YouTube channel. Nice. I'll be sure to get that from you and post the link to that on the show notes page. Yeah, definitely. So that was kind of the second trimester. And I think throughout, uh, the pregnancy, I found it helpful with dance to just kind of really focus on not comparing myself. But I think this might be helpful to anyone who wants to stay active in pregnancy and who was active before, and you're dealing with just a lot of the changes and how things are different daily. But I think to focus on not comparing yourself to other people around you in the room, in your running club, whatever it might be at your gym, but also not to compare yourself to your pre-pregnancy self and to be sort of sad about that and the loss of certain capabilities because you won't be able to do everything safely, nor will you really want to at a certain point. So I think it helps me to just focus on exploring. And this is a new body that I've never had before that is also growing another human being, which is super cool and amazing, but will mean that you're going to need to explore your different capabilities, that they won't be the same they were yesterday or two months ago, but to just try to have some excitement about that adventure instead of sadness about what isn't true right now for you. And I think that made me have a lot more freedom and joy in exploring and processing my pregnancy through dance. It's something I started even from the day that I found out I was pregnant, just kind of improvising and journaling, doing a mix of those things to think through what was this experience like and how is it hard and how has it been great? And what do I hope for my baby in the future? And how am I imagining her? And all of these different things. So that was cool for me to do and led me to want to do that for other people and see if that would be something helpful for others. So in my third trimester, I received a grant, the Plunge Development Grant, and was able to do some workshops for people who are expecting and was hoping to do that for both moms and their partners, but just decided it might be simpler to keep it for the moms this time around and explore more options in the future. But that was really cool to just get some community with other people who are pregnant and having this experience. And I didn't realize how powerful that would be for all of us. It wasn't so much what you're doing together, but the fact that you're gathering together, having an experience together, talking about where you're giving birth or when is your family coming and how early are you having them and how long and all of these things we got to talk about. But the structure of them was around dance, (laughs) not just talking. So we just kind of did like a warm up and then some journaling and creating some movement about the words that you journaled, using that as a springboard to create a little phrase that would kind of be almost like a movement journal or diary of your pregnancy. So that was really special to get to do that. And the other half of that project was 
creating a solo about at least my experience of pregnancy. I think everyone's is totally different, which is part of what makes it hard because then you don't know what to expect. So that solo is online on my Instagram if anybody wants to see if that's part of your experience. Mostly explore themes of your identity changing, heading into parenthood, which I think feels overwhelming. And to me felt like, wow, well, my entire identity, myself change, who will I be on the other side of this? But it was helpful for me to rest in the fact that, no, I think my identity right now I see as a child of God. And I will see that on the other side with the addition of being a mother. And the aspects of, I think everyone has an aspect of performance in pregnancy that you feel like you're performing a role a little bit of pregnant. (laughs) And what do people expect? Do they expect me to be bigger or smaller or more tired or less tired? So I think I felt that maybe more as a dancer when people are looking at your body specifically, had a lot of people say, oh, you don't look pregnant or you look bigger than I thought you would, like all these different things. And then the last thing was control and exploring that through dance, um, wanting to control every aspect of the pregnancy, of the birth, maybe of my child's life down the road, but feeling that you can't, pregnancy kind of just rolls and the birth kind of just rolls. And there are decisions you can make along the way to really help yourself and help your baby for sure, but you can't control everything. And I think that being a lesson I wanted to take into motherhood, that I'm going to have to release that into God's hands, um, that I can't hold on to all of that. So that's kind of what I explored in the third trimester. Oh, thank you. Those are some really deep concepts. And I very much want to, and I'm sure others do too, want to check out that uh, work that you created. What is your Instagram? Can you let us know? Yeah, it's Hannah.com. Newman.pan. Right. Thank you for sharing that verbally. I already had it, of course, but I'll include it on the show notes, but not everybody's going to visit the show notes page. So hopefully someone is typing that in right now. (laughs) Hannah.Newman.pan. Great. Yeah, I hope it's helpful. My intention wasn't just to document for myself, but hopefully have it be a springboard for other people to think through how those themes are kind of emerging in their own pregnancy. Beautiful. Performance art, well, all kinds of art are just such a powerful medium to process these rites of passage and, you know, significant life experiences. So I'm very excited about the work that you're doing and this work that you created and the community that you were fostering in in the class environment. So thank you for doing those things. And I hope you'll get back to it once you're feeling a little more settled in as a parent. I want to. And I think there's like a lot of I want to explore different variations. Is there like a mother baby version or bring your partner, bring your spouse version? Mm -hmm. We'll see. But I'm excited about that. And I think I selfishly was creating my own community, (laughs) just trying to pull people in and um, under the guise of a dance class. No, I'm kidding. But I hope to continue to do it in the future. Yeah. And our doula collective just started a support group and you're a part of that, right? Yes. A postpartum support group. I think we just had week two a few days ago. So hopefully that can be a nice source of community support for you as a new parent, as well as maybe continuing this exploration of similar work that you might want to do. Yeah, that's been, it started off great, really helpful. One of the women started a WhatsApp group. So people are already sharing easy instant pot recipes or questions about meal trains and things like that. So I think it's going to be really helpful. All right. Anything else about pregnancy before we go into the birth story? I think so. I think that's most of it. Well, the last thing I'll add is about kind of those things that 
the last four weeks, I was really excited about eating pineapple, drinking raspberry leaf tea, eating dates and all of those things. I guess that kind of leads into the birth story, but I feel like I don't know what combination of those things helped, but I enjoy those foods anyway. So it was exciting to try that, but that was recommended by our doulas and through research online. So I did do some of that and was trying to do some yoga at the very end when I I did stop dancing at 37 weeks because I was feeling like I'm just modifying everything in ballet class. The very simplest exercises. I had some tailbone pain and pubic, I guess more discomfort than pain. Things kind of shifting and clicking and just felt unstable in the last couple of weeks of pregnancy, which is wild. It's your body kind of preparing to let something very large out of that area. But it felt like maybe this is okay for me to step away. And I think I definitely had peace about that. I was going to lean into just kind of, you know, sitting on the birth ball and eating pineapple and doing prenatal yoga in those last weeks. But I only really had one week. One question I have is particularly with your background in already being so physically active, a lot of your work being focused on the physical body. Did you before birth or after birth happen to do any like prenatal programs, like fitness programs or public health programs or see a public PT or have you since birth? I'm just curious about that. Yeah, I have to say I've never been good at cross training. (laughs) Something I always aspire to do more of. So I really only did prenatal yoga. Sarah Grace, one of our doulas, amazing prenatal and postnatal yoga teacher. So I was doing her classes Mm-hmm. can't say I made it every week, but I would say two to four times a month and could tell this is really good for my body. It felt really good. Something I should be doing as a dancer anyway is yoga. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to see a pelvic floor PT before birth and just didn't get around to it. And I would recommend for people to make that a priority, no matter how great you think your pelvic floor health may be. Not that any of us really know because you just don't think about right. that. Uh-huh. At least I didn't. I do have an appointment for later this month. Oh, <laughs> um, good. After great. birth. Yeah. So I'll be checking that out and hopefully that will help. I don't feel like I have major issues with it, but I'm definitely noticing things are weaker. I could use some help. And Mm -hmm. so I'm excited to explore that. But that's really all that I did. Mm -hmm. Great. That sounds great. Prenatal yoga is one of my very top recommendations for sure. And Sarah Grace is wonderful. So I'm really glad you had that. Great. Feel free to, as you were saying that you were doing things to try to get the party started and, and you did go did. before your due date. Estimated due date, of course. <laughs> yes, right. Estimated. Yeah. So she was born exactly two weeks before my due date at 38 weeks, which I was not expecting. I think the two things everyone says are that your first baby is probably going to be late or very likely will be late and your water probably won't break first. And those two things been the other way around for me. Basically woke up at 38 weeks on the dot, felt a couple contractions just like 15 minutes before our alarm went off at 7 a.m. And I've been feeling some Braxton Hicks, just like very mild tightening area in that abdomen area, I guess is how I describe it. And these felt a little bit different. I'd always worried about how I would know labor was starting. And it's kind of funny because I didn't really know if it was starting for a couple of hours this morning. So those first two contractions just made me think, what if this is the last day we wake up without a baby? And it was. Mm -hmm. I didn't say that to Tommy. I don't think I said anything to you, though. He's shaking his head because I really wasn't sure. But I did go to the bathroom and found a little bit of pinkish discharge and some wateriness. And I think then I said something to you. What did I say? He was like, what do you mean you think it did? So I was trying to figure that out. But we had a prayer meeting um, on Zoom at 730 that we still just joined anyway texted our doulas after and they said, keep an eye on it. It could have been the mucus plug, but keep us posted. Let us know. 
9 a.m. and 9.30, I have more water enough to drip down my pant leg. I'm still saying, I'm not sure if it's my water breaking, but I hadn't had any issues with incontinence and pregnancy. But I do know our doulas had said, and our midwife later said, discharge at the end of pregnancy can be, I think the word they used was oppressive. (laughs) So you never know. I think I was in denial though, and didn't do a great job of communicating how much water it was. I think Mm -hmm. I, I was probably minimizing a little bit because I needed about 36 more hours to wrap up some work things. I proceeded to get on a Zoom call at 9 a.m., informed them, I think my water may have broken, but I want to just wrap this up. And people are, of course, like, you shouldn't be here. But our midwife, um, Soraya, was scheduled to come for our 38-week visit at 10 a.m. that morning. So she came. I think I blurted out as she's coming up the stairs. I think my water may have broken, but I'm not sure. (laughs) It's not even settled in yet. She didn't, because I had not called her, I would recommend to anybody to call the moment you suspect it may have broken because she didn't have the correct test with her to test if it was amniotic fluid. So just said, let's monitor it and let me know if you're having more contraction. So I felt bad about that. So I, that would be a recommendation. Just call if you think your water broke, which is what they tell you anyway. <laughs> so 11 a.m. I'm on another Zoom call for work, frantically sending people documents because I just really didn't want to worry about it after the baby was born and had the feeling like 90% sure this is it. Contractions were a little bit more regular, maybe 15 to 20 minutes apart. I think by around 1 p.m., I'm 100% sure they're 10 to 20 minutes apart. And Tommy, I don't know what time you said, just log off. So I did and sent messages like, yep, I think this is it. And he had already, he was already getting ready. He told your team. Yeah, he gets five months of paternity leave is the other thing. So it's truly a see you later. Yeah, so... Once I decided this is it, we did sort of launch into the early labor activities that we had discussed in your class that you encouraged us to just make a list of things to distract yourself as long as possible. Prayer meeting was probably not on your early list. That was not, but I'm really glad we went. The funny thing was, we, I was so uns- I was unsure enough at that point that I didn't ask for prayer for birth. I just, we just didn't say anything to people. Because <laughs> you're like, I have two weeks. We'll have another prayer meeting before then. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. I mean, it's not that we didn't feel free enough to, to ask for it. We just thought, you know, this wasn't <laughs> it. so then we, we did take a walk and we were going to go to Whole Foods to get a little treat, which is something that I wanted. But by that point, I was already feeling like I'm not sure if I walk there that I'll be able to get back comfortably because the contractions were becoming enough that I was having to, I guess I would say, focus on them a little bit, like think about breathing or continue pacing or something like that. So I came home and Tommy went because I wanted to have snacks for the doula and the midwife and everybody. Yeah, I had dreams. One of the things on my list was baking cookies, but it was progressing fast enough that wasn't going to happen. And then you came back and we started watching The Office. That was the next thing on the list to try to laugh and just have some lightheartedness, which started off fine. But halfway through, I think, the episode, I was asking you to pause it during the contraction so I could focus which was sort of defeating a purpose of distraction. I don't, do you remember then what happened next? Soon after that, our doulas are texting us suggestions as well, which is really a helpful way they can support you before they actually come. Just texting some ideas of what you could do that we had talked about with them two days previously at our last visit. So she did recommend, why don't you try laying down and do exaggerated side lying with your leg propped up and just kind of try to relax and rest a bit. I found that really intensified the contractions, the sensation. It did space them out a little bit more. At this point, I think before we laid down, they were about three or four minutes apart, which was kind of scaring me because I was thinking, oh my goodness, that's 
kind of close together. How could this have gone that quickly? But no one seemed to be rushing here. Heart concerned. My mom was concerned. I think she was like, you've got a cold and they have to come now. And I said, I think that the, they're very experienced. They're very experienced team. They know when they should come. But I think that laying down spaced out the contractions for me a bit, but then they were more intense. And I was on the phone a few times with Chloe, the other half of our midwife team who had recommended staying in one position for a few contractions to let your body kind of settle into that. And I did try doing that and still kind of painful. I think somewhere to the end of that, I said, I don't know what to do anymore. We had tried hanging on Tommy and pushing against a wall, different things. I did not want to sit down. I think that was part of the hard physicalness of it was I just really felt like I can't sit on the ball. I can't sit on the couch, a chair or lie down. So it felt like being on your feet a lot was a little more tiring than I had projected. So at that point, I think maybe around 5, 5.30, I said, I don't know what to do anymore. It was kind of just getting progressively more intense and they were sort of staying at about three minutes apart. And so that's when I think Chloe had said, why don't you call? It's a good time for your doula to come. Let them know that. And so we did. So the way that doula teams work, basically, whoever's kind of on call for both your if you have a team of midwives or a team of doulas will come to your birth. So it was Sarah Grace who came and I felt bad. It was during, kind of during rush hour at that point. So maybe not the most peaceful Uber ride for her, but she came, I think around 7.30. It is wild. I know I've heard people say on your podcast how like the labor land, the way time passes is so strange. It feels like how long did I do everything for? I just have like almost no recollection, but at some point in there, they had recommended I get in the shower, which did help, I think, alleviate some of the discomfort, but it did make the contractions pick up in the pace. So I think they were every like one and a half to two minutes. And I was kind of freaking out, like, what if this makes the baby come sooner and no one's here? I'm getting out of here. And then when I got out of the shower, I did start having like some shaking, which I think can be hormonal. You can shed more light on that, but maybe the cold of getting out of the shower plus the hormones and so I wasn't able to kind of calm that down for a little while. And that's a weird sensation to feel like you're a little bit uncontrollably shaking. Sarah Grace got there and was just so helpful, I think, in suggesting things to try, in talking me through the contractions. Something I found helpful was that she would talk me, say, you're, you're coming to the peak. Now you're coming down from the peak. So it really felt like each contraction was only 30 seconds instead of a full minute because you think, oh, that was the worst part. Now it's getting better just changes the way that you're thinking about time and the way that pain is coming in that time. And Tommy, it was helpful. She's helping Tommy try to set up the birth pool, which unfortunately we had tested prior to this. So we didn't know where the correct attachment for the hose to our sink was. So that would be another recommendation for people doing a home birth is test that out. So they started boiling water. What was your experience like with that? Every bird is full of pots of water and you dump it into the pool and they go. Fill up the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember looking at them like, maybe I should just tell them to call it quits because this doesn't look like it's happening. But then magically Sarah Grace finds the attachment. They get the pool going. And I think somewhere around that point, I think she said to you, I heard her whisper to you, she's getting pushy. I think you should call the midwife. And I guess that that feeling, I think most of the time I was pushing against a wall, just standing up. I don't think that was a position we talked about in birth class, <laughs> but just kind of feeling stabilized somewhere, standing up felt best to me. And I think at a certain point, people talk about the urge to bear down or to push. And it does feel like you just, I would describe it as getting squatty. Like I just kind of 
when a contraction came, you just kind of wanted to squat down a little bit. That's how it felt. And so I think she saw that. And I think then, yeah, Soraya got here maybe half an hour to an hour later after that point. 10. Around 10 p.m. And I think you want to talk about that experience for arriving. Well, of course, she couldn't find parking. Uh, New York City life. And I, I think I told her, you want to come up and I'll, and I'll park your car. Yeah. And she insists on giving it a, a, another attempt. And she did find a spot like a block or so away. And yeah. she came up and just how I remember it, it felt like she like slid into home plate, like at home plate meeting under Anna with the, you know, the Doppler, you know, monitoring the, the, the heartbeat. I mean, just, you know, ha- happened so fast and she got to wars. <laughs> I can't sing their praises uh, enough. Yeah. 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 But it it was true. It felt like she came through the door and immediately she's checking the baby's heartbeat under me and things are rolling. I don't even know how she unpacked her stuff. I don't even remember seeing her unpack her whole kid. So I think at that point, I think I said to her and maybe to Sarah Grace, is this pushing? Am I doing it? Like, because it just felt like it just rolled along and they were like, yeah, this is it. <laughs> Keep doing it. And someone asked, do you want to get in the pool? And at that point, I was too nervous that I wouldn't be able to get over the edge or it would feel worse if I got in the pool. I think throughout, you have all these tools that we learned with you in birth class. We discussed with our doulas. I got scared along the way of changing to the next thing that would make it feel worse but I think it's still good to try for a couple contractions. The different things that I did try will also make you realize what does work. That is the best position because it could be worse. <laughs> so I ended up never getting in the pool after we had, you know, driven somewhere to pick it up. It's <laughs> all me shaking its head. Four days before, yeah. all boiling water. So it was the placebo <laughs> effect. I knew I wanted it there. I think I had envisioned myself using it more for pain coping earlier in labor and not necessarily... I wasn't married to the idea of having the baby in the water. So I decided to just hold on to the edge of the pool for all of the pushing, which was sort of funny. Well, I guess the water, Tommy, the water you put in there helped it stay stable for her. That's true. You know, right? Because if it wasn't full, she wouldn't have been able to use it for stability. Exactly. You get credit. That's going to make him feel a lot (laughs) better. Yeah, so I think it felt really good to have the freedom to push in whatever position you wanted to. Like I said, I couldn't have imagined lying down. Also reminds me to mention that, yeah, in a home birth, I think unless they need to check how you're progressing, if things are not progressing um, or it seems like they're not, then they would need to do a cervical check. But it felt really great that no one did a cervical check because I did not want to lie down or have someone sticking something up there um, with all of the sensations you're feeling. So um, still kind of wild that, um, it can roll like that and you're just pushing and that's it. But yeah, so I think I was squatting for like 40 minutes. And then I think I said, I'm kind of getting tired and then knelt on one knee and the other knee on my poor yoga mat, which got a little bit destroyed in the process through all of the different fluids. But in the end, yeah, I think I guess that sensation, I can talk a little about the mental of that time. I think I pushed for about an hour and a half. And I know that's not super long. It just in the middle of it, it can feel like an eternity. And how in the world am I going to get this baby out of here? Just that sensation of the bobbing down. You can feel the downward pressure and rebounding. It feels good. Okay. And then the rebound. Yeah. And I think that started to get a little frustrating. And at one point, I do remember thinking, there is no other way at this point. I have chosen this path. She has to come out this way. So I think, and I had envisioned myself praying more, I think, throughout the whole labor. 
um, I think I said one prayer of Lord help <laughs> maybe at that point, but just like the mental presence wasn't fully there to, to do that. But one cool moment was when Soraya asked if Tommy wanted to look when you could see the head, apparently. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, Soraya's like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to look? I'm sure. You know, I was allowed in that zone over there. So I went down and I don't, I don't know where to look or what to even look for. And I'm like, I don't really see anything. She's like, Oh, shine a light. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll use my phone. But you know, he's like a little kid. Like it is, it's a professional work environment. I'll my <laughs> flashlight. flashlight app. We had the lights dim. There was a candle on. Yeah. It was 10 PM. Right. You, you couldn't see them. Right. So I, you know, shine a light. I'm like, <gasps> And as a baby, like, she has hair. <laughs> and, and that was like an inside joke between us. So, yeah, I uh, wondered if the baby would have hair. Did one of you have hair and the other one not when you were born? Is that I why? I think we both had hair. Maybe part of it is my brother had a lot of hair when he was born and he was just the cutest baby. So maybe that's where <laughs> it was coming from for me. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Really. But just like encouragement, motivation during a time of you know yeah. frustration. I felt like, like I can see her child. Yeah, yeah, right. The fantastic of her appearance. Like she was right there. Like I could see you know here. But the thing that I did not say that cautioned all you know husbands out there, what I did not say that moment was how in the world is a baby gonna fit through a sliver of that size? Because I, I, I you know I, I I saw the hair through something this big and I'm like in my heart, I was like, there's just no way this is happening. There's, there's no way. You told <laughs> me that after. But you did not verbalize it then. Good. I absolutely did not verbalize that. And I went back to my, you know, hollow words of, you know, you got this, you're doing great. Like, even though. He wasn't know, sure. Talking with this and like in my, my head thinking like, yeah, there's just no way. That was funny <laughs> to learn afterwards. But I think you said, I wrote down in the birth story that I wrote about this, that you said at that moment, it was also the baby became real. It was something we just talked about, but actually seeing something of your baby for the first time was like, whoa, this is mm-hmm. a real baby. So that was kind of cool too. And I think that's how I felt when she finally did come out. It's a strange sensation, just actually feeling the baby come out of you. But I think I also was getting a little bit frustrated by the end of it. feeling like, man, I'm done with this. I'm ready to meet my baby. I think I did push a little too much beyond the sensation of the contraction, which maybe you would tear less if you didn't do that. <laughs> it was just kind of like, we're done here, pushing as much as possible. I know you got to do what you got to do. Sometimes there's only yeah. so much you yeah. can do. And like you're, you said, there is this, I'll use the term that Tommy just used about a different topic of that cognitive dissonance of, yeah, I just want this to be done so much. <laughs> but also there's the other piece of it. Yeah. Right. I would love to not tear my perineum. <laughs> but yeah, and when she was born, it's just a wild feeling that it almost just feels like this baby dropped out of the sky. And I think just to connect, that's the same baby that was inside of you that you've imagined. But it was just a moment of it's surreal and triumphant in some ways of everything, whatever you went through as an individual and getting pregnant in your pregnancy, in the birth, this is it. You did it. That's the baby. You still have to deliver the placenta, but your baby is here. (laughs) So that was just really cool. And I think you said, I just looked at her I think I was crying a little bit and I think I said oh hi <laughs> which is so ridiculous and like waved at her I think Soraya's like take the baby on your chest but yeah and then they just help you get over to, we just went over to our couch she was born in the middle of our living room next to the birth pool on the outside of the birth pool 
and everything's covered in checks pads. They do such a great job with that. And just really cool to be just laying on your couch with the baby in those first moments. She's covered in stuff and I'm covered in stuff. And oh, her birth assistant, Alessandra, also was there. She came, I think, maybe 10, 15, 10, 30. They're just going to work, checking the baby, checking you. Uh, They gave me Pitocin and something called Miso and something called Shepherd's Purse. Those were orally and Pitocin was a shot to help stop the bleeding. And I could tell like they're really actively managing everything in such a professional way way but that doesn't disrupt this kind of like world you've entered into with this little tiny baby that you've grown so that was pretty neat and Sarah Grace is coming to me with applesauce and water and coconut water and so it's just really helpful to have a team like that so that we could really just start your first few moments with your child so yeah I had a second degree tear Like I said, I wonder if you do really focus on patients and pushing with the contraction, if that would have helped. I think I got a bit impatient, but it was also encouraging. I forgot to mention in the feeling of the baby bobbing that Soraya did say, because I think I mentioned that, like, oh, I just feel like she keeps going back up. And Soraya said, it's actually helpful. It's sort of stretching everything out slowly so that you will be able to birth the baby more easily, which was encouraging to hear, I think, in the middle of that. Yeah, and squeezing all the fluids out of Hazel's um, air passageways so that she can more easily breathe when she's born, getting the lungs ready for that inhale-exhale motion. Yeah, there's so much benefit from that rebounding, but it can be really frustrating. I totally hear you when you say that. Do you mind clarifying? I think I lost a little clarity on, you said you were squatting at first and then you got tired from doing that because that does require a lot of energy. I think I missed what position did you try after that or positions plural and what position did you give birth in? Just one kneeling on one knee. Kneeling on one knee. Okay. And I was just switching from one knee to the other knee. I think I squatted maybe for 40 minutes and then did the one knee kneeling for the next 40. Someone on the yoga mat. Birth stool. Yep. Just over mm-hmm. the yoga mat, which did mm-hmm. have chucks pads on it. But when you're kneeling, you're kind of shifting things around. Right. And I remember Alessandro said, you know, well, you could clean it up, the yoga mat, because you know, there's all kinds of stuff on it. And I said, it's okay. We'll just, we'll get a new one. But yeah, so I gave birth on one knee to her and someone offered me a birth stool at one point. And it's the same thing I mentioned before, I'm just feeling nervous about changing positions and having it feel uncomfortable and just feeling like I really can't sit. I don't feel like I can sit. I think it was helpful. I think the rest of that evening, there's a lot they do to help you. They clean up and obviously check you and the baby. Watching them check the reflexes is so cool. Getting to see that. I don't know if in a hospital you see that happen in front of you, but that was kind of neat. And she was explaining, this is the sternal reflex. This is the walking reflex that they come out of the womb and they kind of stand them up and the baby's taking steps. Like, isn't that amazing? No, you don't get that in the hospital. Not from anyone. I've never heard of that happening in a hospital. It was pretty special to be like watching kind of all of these different and having her explain it a little bit to you. And she weighed and measured the baby. I think that was another moment for us. Wow. She was teeny, 18 inches and five pounds, 14 ounces. So you just hear the five pounds and you think, oh, that's, is that okay? That's pretty small. And I had suspected I had, I was measuring small, I guess the, the fundal height, is that what it's called? Or the, the uterus measurement was a little small. Mm-hmm. So I did get the growth sonogram or two to just check and everything was fine. So I wasn't totally shocked, but I was a little bit like, is that okay? But she was perfectly healthy, which we were so thankful for. I love um, that. And, and just coincidentally, I think I shared this with you, but 
I and my mother were both 5'14". So we have a little club here of 5'14ers. It's a great size, apparently. And I've said afterwards, I can't imagine something bigger coming out if people do that with double the size. So, wow. Kudos to them for sure. Yeah. And then they just also stitch you up right on your bed. And I was really nervous for that. I think going into giving birth, I was nervous about tearing, really didn't want to tear, but knew most people do. Maybe Soraya is particularly skilled. I really did not experience any pain with that. So I was really thankful either while she was stitching me or after actually in the recovery process. Nice. I'm thankful to hear that. I was going to say that she's really great on it maybe, or it was just a type of tear, but yeah, she's gifted. They then laughed and Sarah Grace stayed on a bit longer to just make sure we were getting settled in and that I had some food. I don't think I ate the whole time. I was just not hungry. And yeah, I think that's most of the birth. I was just going to talk about sleeping for a minute because that first night we had anticipated having the baby sleep in a bassinet. And then our midwife had recommended you could consider co-sleeping because it will help the baby regulate her body temperature. And we were not prepared with how to do that and with information on that in advance. And she said, don't do it if you're not comfortable. We did decide to that first night. I was pretty amped. So I think I slept 45 minutes from 5 a.m. to 5.45 or something. And Tommy decided to sleep on the couch because he was nervous about sleeping in the bed with the baby. But I think one thing we would recommend to people is to be prepared with a few options for sleeping, potentially if you're doing home birth, I guess. But in a hospital as well, when you come home, maybe what you thought you would be doing isn't what you end up wanting to do or feeling is best. So just be a little more knowledgeable than we were about co-sleeping, or maybe you thought you were going to have the baby in the next room, but maybe you should be prepared with also a bassinet by your bed. So Mm -hmm. just thinking through, it, it just may not feel like what you thought it would. So just have some more knowledge about those different things. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. And I know you took birth class really early with me, so it makes sense that you wouldn't have remembered this. But I just want to mention for the benefit of listeners that anyone who takes birth class with me, we go through safety principles for for bed sharing as well as for not bed sharing. So many people don't plan to bed share before birth because they've heard all these scary things about it. And then so many of us end up doing that. And it can absolutely be very biologically appropriate is and can be done very safely. But we need to really be careful with the way we're doing it and just know the safety considerations like you're saying. So I'm glad you said to educate yourself on that. And I welcome, you know, any things you've learned. I always want to be filling any any gaps and, and honing my teaching. So let me know the things that you wish you had known. Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely remember talking about it at birth class. I just remember thinking at the time, oh, we're not going to do that. We're going to do the bassinet. So you just sort of dismiss it. Yep. I dismiss. Yeah, we're not doing that, which you shouldn't do. (laughs) I would just recommend people really listen to all of the options and think through that. And so I think that was pretty much. Did you make me that? Were you feeling? Exhausted. Absolutely. (laughs) Baby came at 1124. Oh, yeah. So from the time you thought you might be in labor or you think it started it's hard to say i think probably it started around 7 a.m but i would really i really kind of counted in my mind from 1 p.m when i decided (laughs) this is labor (laughs) so maybe it could have been 16 hours it could have been 10 and a half depending on how you want to count it give yourself all the credit (laughs) yeah yeah right (laughs) as much credit as you want i'm just you know absolutely uh exhausted i got the baby and, and, and then you know having the consider and contemplate with all those sleep options 
at, you know, four in the morning, then yeah, definitely, you know, just echo that uh, advice of, you know, make sure you thought through, you know, just a few options and don't dismiss anything. Yeah. I think I meant to say this in the beginning, but I just feel like I feel really grateful because I feel like we had a great birth. And I think that can feel hard sometimes in, in talking about it with other people or with friends, because I recognize so many people have it just really not go the way they had wanted it to through no fault of your own. It just unfolds in a natural way. And for you and your body and your baby, I do agree. And I've heard you say this and other people that, you know, choosing your care provider, someone who really has the same goals as you for the birth makes a huge difference. And I think that really did for us in both our provider and setting and having doulas. But I hope people can be encouraged that a good birth is possible, but also just know that, I mean, a good birth isn't in your control any more than one that felt difficult was in your control, really. But the parts that you are able to choose, like your your care setting and your care provider, your doula, the people that you have in the room, those kinds of things are. Thank you. I'm very glad you said that. How did you feel about the postpartum care? Uh, my understanding is that home birth midwives and my experience is that home birth midwives are very thorough with their postpartum care and visit you a number of times. Was that your experience or any yeah, reflection? It was great. I think I can't imagine having had to go to six weeks with, <laughs> with nothing, sort of kind of wild. You just have so many questions about your own body. It's a lot of sensations, probably different for everyone that are happening. And so... Yeah, Soraya did come back. Usually she would come back the next day, but since she just left at 4 a.m., <laughs> she came back about 36 hours after the birth to check on me and check on the baby. And that just is reassuring that you know she's going to come back. She's going to weigh the baby and check on how breastfeeding is going because it does feel like the baby does. It is amazing to watch. I didn't mention that the baby does just do the breast crawl. It took her a little while, but <laughs> eventually she did. And they just know this is where my food comes from. But I was definitely worried. I think I said before we started recording that I was maybe more worried about breastfeeding than I was about giving birth after hearing a lot of people have really difficult experiences with it. And then, of course, the worries, did my baby lose weight? How much are they getting? All of those things people talk about. So when Soraya did come back about 36 hours after the birth, I think Hazel had lost maybe 6% of her birth weight. I think the number is 10%, at which point you would be getting concerned. But then when we went to our first pediatrician visit a week later, she had gotten back to birth weight, which was never knew I'd be so excited about weighing a baby. <laughs> we were definitely had a worry in the first day or two about, I think she only had one poop on day two and she was supposed to have two poops or maybe she didn't poop at all. Now, Which is interesting because in the moment you're a little bit freaking out, like she didn't poop. And I think we were trying to give her some hand-expressed colostrum through a syringe at one point on day two or three because she hadn't pooped that day. She had pooped right after birth on me, so she did complete her initial checkpoint of <laughs> doing that. So we knew it was moving. Yeah, I was like, oh, she's so slippery. Oh, it's poop. So I was like under the blanket and everything. It was very funny. And yeah, so I think I was really relieved about that, but it was helpful to have Soraya who I believe is also an IBCLC, just check kind of the latch and suggest different positions you could try. So that was really great. And then we also had, I think, a four-day, two-week and four-week, I think I'm remembering that correctly, televisits. So just check-ins. And of course, you can call or text them anytime. And then at six weeks, Soraya came back in person to check us all out. And I think she stayed for like an hour and a half. 
I mean, it was a really oh. nice long visit. And I definitely had a lot of questions at that point about different things. And she was able to help me decide if seeing a pelvic floor PT would be useful to check where I was at with that. And I was just having some, like I'd mentioned, tailbone pain, discomfort pre-birth and pregnancy. And then to me, I think the most difficult postpartum sort of symptoms or experiences were tailbone pain, feeling like I had fallen on an ice rink or something on my tailbone, which I had not done. And I didn't realize how much that could, how things shifting could really feel that strong afterwards. And then just general weakness, losing blood, losing fluids. But I think she helped me kind of, yeah, I realized the tailbone pain and then just a, a sensation of kind of soreness and like lower abdomen after walking very much or standing for a very long time could also be pelvic floor related. And that, that can be just your whole, everything has shifted. Everything's been stretched out. It's trying to return to its normal position. There's just a lot of strain in that area. So that was really helpful to effort remind me that's something I wanted to do and that that would help these symptoms I was experiencing. So yeah, I think the postpartum care for home birth is awesome. Not to mention you don't have to go to a doctor's office with a six-week-old baby, schlep yourself there. And yeah, (laughs) it's good. They're really awesome. Well, was there anything else you were hoping to share about before we share your final sort of insights or if there are any other final insights you wanted to share with listeners? Yeah, I think that one thing we've talked about was we really had a lot of support in postpartum period. I mean, we both have parental leave from our jobs. I have 18 weeks and Tommy has 20, which we are so thankful for. Our parents came for a total of three weeks and were cooking for us all the time and helping us take naps and friends sending us seamless gift cards. Our church organized a meal train for a month. It was awesome. Just literally ended on Saturday or last night. So yeah. And even just little texts from friends. I think we're very social people who didn't necessarily want to feel isolated. And even if you're an introvert, I don't think you want to feel isolated. So I think encouraging our friends in advance to check in on us that that would bother us was something helpful that we did that I think our doulas suggested. But despite however much you organize your support it's still going to be difficult. I think we thought, you know, we can really control this situation and get everything just right and in place so that's super easy. (laughs) It's just not going to be like that. I think dealing with the trifecta of hormones, physical recovery, and caring for a baby as the mother is just, that's just going to be hard. You can't control your own hormones, unfortunately. And it just, it does take you for a bit of a ride. So I think that was challenging, but I'm really grateful. I feel like, I don't know how many times I've asked Tommy to bring me my water or my phone or a book or a snack. And I feel like just having him as such an amazing supportive partner in this ride is amazing. So I think that, I think I just said the word amazing like three times. Sorry about that. (laughs) But I'm just, I'm really grateful for you and for all that you've done to help this be as good as it can be. And and the birth too, like just that we can laugh together about the fact that it was two weeks early and we weren't expecting it and nothing was ready and I didn't have my freezer meals done and um, all of these things. But so I think that's been really great, but but there's, it's just going to be challenging, but it's not going to be forever. And I, I think it just feels like forever in those early moments, but just as much as you can to appreciate all the little smiles and 
strange noises your baby makes and cute faces and all of those things. Just staying focused on that as much as possible and letting yourself just go along for the ride and but still trying to structure your support in advance as much as possible because it did really help us. Just you know, have patience and grace for yourself. I think feelings of guilt and regret, I think are all, you know, fairly common. I, I, I think I have friends ask the proverbial questions of, did you feel overwhelming wave of love wash over you for your first baby? You know? And I was like, no, <laughs> but, but of course you mm-hmm. feel guilt. I'm like, oh, well, do I really love my baby? Mm-hmm. I, I just want to say to people out there, they're always saying, have patience, have grace, you know, it'll come, you know, and the, the first few weeks are hard and you can't just base any conclusions on, on that alone. And over time, you know, love your, your child. Yeah. And I think like just realizing that it is in that first moment of saying, oh, hi. I mean, it really is your first moment of meeting a new person and the reciprocity you can have in your relationship grows as they can smile at you. She can smile now and eventually you'll be able to giggle at your dumb jokes and things like that. So I think that the more that grows, your, your relationship with them is growing. It is a person, a little tiny person. And of course, we loved her from the instant we saw her. But if you don't experience like this overwhelming wave that people speak of it as, that's okay. I find it's pretty uncommon. Yeah. The more birth stories I hear, in fact, I feel like season three of this podcast, that's been a resounding theme is no, I didn't feel that instantaneous and deep connection with my baby. I just didn't. And so I think that's an important message to to get out there. So thank you, Tommy. Thank you to both of you for sharing that important insight. Yeah, but it grows like a relationship with anybody grows. You're connecting naturally over, you know, the first time she tries out the bouncy seat, like over mm-hmm. shared experiences. Once you start- That was the term that was coming to my mind was shared experience. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm big on that. But and even though I did have the shared experience of sharing a body with her for, for nine months, you just don't you don't know them quite yet. And even though I did do a lot of reflecting and um, connecting with her through dance and different things like that, which was so special and I will always cherish. But yeah, it's, it's just a new, it's a new person you're getting to know, but that's really exciting and a lot of fun. And we're um, excited to learn more about the kind of person she is instead of just guessing. <laughs> yeah, I love it. You just brought up dance again. And I know I didn't prepare you with this question. Just as a dancer, I would think that music is important to you on some level. And I was just curious as to whether, maybe it's a twofold question, did you listen to music at all in labor? And or is there a song that really held meaning for you in pregnancy or in labor or since? Oh, that's a great question. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, we both do really, we like music. I think both of us and we listen to a lot of music. I'm glad you mentioned that for labor because I had made two different playlists because I wasn't sure what genre I would want to gravitate towards. I made one that was like calming kind of worship music and one that was like pump up hip hop. Basically, we both like hip hop and rap. <laughs> so thank <laughs> Fun. you. Once it started rolling, I was like, definitely the pump up playlist. And so I think, <laughs> but she can't come out to like Drake. <laughs> I don't know some of these songs. <laughs> anyway, so it was definitely a mixture of like different artists. But that was what was on when she was bored was that. And then as you're having those first moments, I remember saying, can we change the playlist now? Because now that there's this tiny baby, I think I want the calm. So I think Tommy put on <laughs> instrumental worship music at that point. Yeah, <laughs> So that felt better. <laughs> 
But yeah, I think if you're not sure how you'll feel, you can always just make two playlists and make the call in the moment. A special song. I think that the, the music I ended up using to choreograph the solo to, I think I showed the solo to my parents after she was born when they were here and I started crying. So I think, I think maybe those are for the songs. <laughs> um, hearing those will always just remind me of that time. Yeah, thinking about what life will be like with the baby in the dance studio and just having that time alone. As dancers, I don't know that we all get a lot of time alone in the studio. I think you're always trying to output, especially if you're with like a, a company, someone else's vision. And some dancers are also choreographers, but I think to just be in a studio alone by yourself, moving isn't something we all do a lot. And probably most of us want to do more of, but that was, yeah, just hearing, I think that will always remind me. But yeah, did you have a special one? Hamilton. Oh, oh yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so for early Valentine's, they give what to see Hamilton. For the uh, first time we have ever Yeah. And we, we watched <laughs> on, on Disney Plus, you know, a couple years back, but see a person was... Just as good as you know, everyone said it was. Yeah, right. And yeah, and then just playing the soundtrack for basically every subsequent day. And then, of course, she was born, well, like you know, 10 or 11 days after. So, yeah, I think that probably stuck. And stuck. I think the song, I think it's called Dear Theodosia. I was just about to ask if, Tommy, if that was especially meaningful for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's funny because having seen it on Disney Plus, I guess I didn't, you know, it's on, it's on TV, but seeing it live perform, I think that's not really. Yeah, of course I'm with all the pregnancy <laughs> hormones and I'm losing it every other <laughs> song. And, but yeah, I think that one will always be a little bit special too. Wonderful. I'm very glad I asked that question. <laughs> I enjoyed hearing those reflections. Nice. All right. Well, thank you so much, Hannah and Tommy. It has been such a delight Hannah. to see you again after these oh, months so and yeah. and seeing Hazel at the back of her head. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy's getting very good at wearing her in the Solly baby. We definitely would recommend doing some sort of baby wearing for people. That's been so helpful for us is we try to just troubleshoot. I think a lot of these early days the last thing I have to share is just feels like troubleshooting. And I think mm. that's why it's helpful to take a birth class and prepare as much as possible because then you have a bigger basket of tools that you can turn to. And some days we're just to try to get her to nap. We're just rotating through the five S's that <laughs> we learned in your class of calming your baby and helping them go to sleep or we're trying to wear her or take her on a walk or do motion or lots of all, different things. But all the it's things. just a lot more troubleshooting than we thought and problem solving. But it, if you can take the stamps of just having fun just doing that together and trying to help her sleep or eat or do whatever it is she needs to do often laugh sometimes get frustrated but it's more fun to just see it as you're just you're troubleshooting and hopefully that doesn't get you stressed out <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and i think hopefully that also helps you there's such a wealth of information out there which is amazing through social media and articles and google everywhere but i've felt overwhelmed by that and that can make you a little crazy at mm -hmm. certain points yeah. So I think just being careful of what you're taking in in this early period, I think is important and that you are going to just do the best you can with the tools that you know and that you have for your baby who's different from the next person's baby. And mm -hmm. you do feel that I was aware of that comparison of, you know, a friend said their baby's sleeping five hours already. Oh, no, ours is doing two. So, but it's just, <laughs> they're all different. And I think just kind of trying to relax into that and it's good to keep learning things, but don't make yourself crazy. It's been something that's helped us. Good work. All right. Thanks again. I hope we can meet in person at some point. Me too. Thank you so much for having us yeah. and for everything, honestly. You've been there 
earlier than any of our care providers, your voice on your podcast (laughs) and your help finding doulas. And yeah, so we're really grateful for everything and for all that you do to help people be prepared for this Mm -hmm. amazing, but sometimes challenging transition. Thanks, Lisa. Today, before we close things out, I'll talk briefly about a few things that came up in this episode. When to call your provider if your water releases or ruptures as the first sign of labor, thyroid imbalances, subchorionic hematoma, and the medications and herbs Hannah was given after birth. Hannah mentioned that when her membranes released, also known as bag of waters rupturing or breaking, as the first sign of labor, she called her midwives. I'd like to clarify that in a home birth, that's not a bad idea at all because you know you won't be put on deadlines that are likely to lead to unnecessary interventions, as is usually the case in a hospital setting. For those giving birth in a hospital setting, however, you may want to listen to my teaching commentary at the end of episode 76. In that episode, I take you through some of the considerations in terms of whether or not you might want to call your care provider right away if this is your first sign of labor. This information will help you understand the questions to ask prenatally to help you make an informed decision along these lines in the unlikely event that your bag of waters releases as the first sign of labor. It will also help you navigate the evidence and what the evidence says in terms of the risk of infection. Hannah also mentioned a brief thyroid imbalance. The huge event of pregnancy and postpartum hormonal changes does predispose us to greater potential for thyroid imbalances. One common time to experience this is around three or so months after giving birth. Around that time, a lot of postpartum parents notice an increase in shedding hair. This can be within the range of normal if it happens for around two to four weeks, but if it persists for longer than that, this is one example of a good reason to get tested for potential thyroid imbalances. The standard thyroid testing is very basic in the U.S. and only tests a couple of things and often misses an important diagnosis to catch. In order to be sure any underlying thyroid imbalance is being properly identified and addressed, if it exists, I highly recommend requesting more thorough testing to be done. This is, of course, if you can swing the costs of these additional tests that most insurance plans unfortunately don't cover. Shedding a lot of hair for more than two to four weeks could possibly be a sign, for example, of an underactive thyroid called hypothyroid. One of the tricky things in pregnancy, or especially postpartum, is that other symptoms of hypothyroid overlap with normal pregnancy and postpartum things we experience, such as fatigue, low libido, and constipation. You can look up what tests to ask for and learn more by searching Dr. Aviva Ram Thyroid Testing. She's a women's health expert, functional medicine MD, was a midwife for many years before that, and is also an herbal medicine expert. Also, the term subchorionic hematoma, Hannah mentioned, sounds scary, but the vast majority of the time it can be a normal part of a healthy pregnancy. It occurs in about 1% of pregnancies and can be the explanation for a bit of bleeding in the first trimester. As Hannah shared, this is blood that has accumulated either between the uterine lining and the outer layer of the amniotic sac, which is called the chorion, or underneath the placenta itself. It can result in spotting, or a care provider will sometimes notice it on an ultrasound without the pregnant person experiencing any external bleeding. If it's identified on an ultrasound, your provider would monitor the situation just to be sure there's no complication, but it usually completely resolves on its own. 
Hannah also mentioned for afterbirth in the third stage of labor when the placenta is delivered, being given Pitocin as well as miso and the herb shepherd's purse, all of which can help slow bleeding down. I wanted to just clarify that miso is misoprostol, also known as Cytotec. This is a synthetic prostaglandin that's used both for induction purposes in a hospital, as well as to help slow down bleeding after birth in both home births and hospitals. These meds are often used just if someone is bleeding too much after birth, while some providers use Cytotec or Pitocin or Shepherd's Purse as a more routine protocol. The fact that all three were used in Hannah's birth causes me to suspect that she likely was bleeding too much and that they needed these things to help slow the bleeding down. Also along these lines, I wanted to clarify here that a lot of people don't realize all the safety items home birth midwives travel with and that they are capable of managing quite a few complications in labor. And if there are complications they can't handle, they will always err on the side of caution and transfer to a hospital on the sooner side, while there is plenty of time to transfer without issue or emergency. Midwives travel with these medications, as well as oxygen and other things to protect a birthing person's and baby's safety. When I hired my home birth midwife in my second pregnancy, the biggest thing that sold me on her was something that she said in the Business of Being Born documentary, which was that she considers her role to be a guardian of safety. Learning the many ways in which midwives keep us safe, along with how incredibly rare a true dire emergency is, really helped address my hesitations about giving birth at home. I'll link to resources on these topics in the show notes for this episode, episode 92, over at birthmattersshow.com. I'll also link to more information on our Be Held Postpartum support group that Hannah mentioned. She mentioned WhatsApp, so I also wanted to mention that Birth Matters students, as well as clients of the doulas of East River Doula Collective, have access to WhatsApp groups organized by due quarter. That's a newer form of support we recently started offering, and expectant and new parents have really been enjoying engaging in those communities. Okay, here's a sneak peek of what's up next time. I was elated. It was the happiest I've ever been because I had this person that I wanted forever, person that I dreamed about for years and years that he was finally here, and we got to have a golden hour. He was on my chest for the whole time, and I got to just like stare at his face for the whole hour and feel really amazing. This week, think about what you might want to say in those moments that you first meet your baby. Will it be, oh, hi, or welcome to the world, sweet baby, or something else, or maybe nothing at all. Thank you. Thank you for listening today, and we will see you next time. Have a great week.